All right, praise God. I am uh, glad that you were with us this evening. Let me um, swap over here. There we go, praise God. So thankful that you're uh, with us this evening or whatever time of day it may be, wherever you are um, watching this. Uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for life and peace and Lord, thank you for the good things that you have prepared for us. And Lord, I know that um, there's a couple of situations in our family of faith here at Heritage, Lord, where people need some breakthrough and some comfort and some, and some miraculous intervention. And so, Father, we uh, just lift those folks up to you. Lord, I, I guess this would qualify as an unspoken request because I not feel at liberty to necessarily put everybody's business out on the Internet like that. But, Father, I know that those who are uh, tuning in with us and those who are in the room, Lord, we just agree together for, for your healing power and, Lord, for um, wisdom. Lord, in these different situations, comfort, Lord, for our brother whose uh, mom passed and we just believe you for good things, Father, good, good things tonight as we look into your word. Father, we thank you for the information, but Lord, we desire more than that. We desire uh, revelation. Lord, you said that you've given us the, the key of knowledge, Lord, and, and we want to use that key to unlock and have your Holy Spirit help us unlock the knowledge and understanding that's in your word. Father, not just so that we, we would know about it or be able to even talk in, in intelligently about it, but Father, so that we can do it so that we can apply your word to our lives and experience the benefits, Lord, that only your word can produce in our lives. So thank you, Lord, for those who have been so faithful, Lord, to these classes. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives, but also, Father, what you will do uh, in a futuristic sense in the lives of other people because we're allowing ourselves to be equipped in such a way as to be more effective in what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray over every person now that's uh, tuned into this class. I thank you, Father, for your hand upon their lives, your hand upon their families. Lord, perhaps some of them are dealing with situations that, that may be uh, potentially distracting, even discouraging for them. But Lord, I thank you that you are helping us now bring our hearts to attention, hear and receive the word, Father, that will uh, increase our faith, Lord, build our faith, and, and help us, Lord, uh, to rise up and be victorious in all these different situations in life. Lord, thank you for good things now. We pray these things together in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so um, tonight is class number 12, which is another milestone in, in, in some sense since we have uh, 36 classes, and so this would be uh, after tonight, one-third one of the classes that we have already uh, Zoomed through. And, and when I say Zoomed, I don't mean the, uh, the Internet platform. I mean how quickly uh, we're going through um, through these classes. I uh, uh, attended a funeral today, uh, dear brother Rick Hosmer, uh, such a vital part of our family faith here at Heritage. His 89-year-old mom at home to be with Jesus, and one of her sons, Rick's brother, uh, preached the funeral, and he said he remembered when he was still a young man, his mother talking about getting older, and she said that as she was getting older, it was like the fence posts were going by faster. <laughs> And, um, and he said that seemed so, such a strange thing for his mom to say until he got older and he understood exactly what she meant. And um, so I don't know, maybe it's because I am uh, 54 now. Uh, we've been doing this for 18 years, but it seems like these first 12 classes have gone by really, really, really fast. I, I was praying over the class this afternoon. I just feel in, encouraged to, um, to remind you, and I don't know if I've ever said it quite this way, um, when we talk about discipleship class, first of all, we're talking about the content of the class, okay? In other words, what, what each class is about and, and what the Word of God has to say about these things, and, and I believe even the specific order in which we, 
we go through and work our way through uh, you know, different subjects and top, topics and doctrines and teachings. So you have the content, but if you recall, one of the first verses we looked at when we started was where the Bible says in the last days that people will not endure sound doctrine. And so as important as the content is, we also see some of the, I guess you might call them intangibles about this class, and, and that would be things like the commitment and the consistency and, and ultimately the character that following through on commitments and being consistent even when we would rather do other things, um, how that builds character and, and, and endurance uh, and, and, and things of that nature, faithfulness, if you will, in, in our lives. The unique thing about character is it, it's so extremely important if we're going to have our best life, it's, it's going to require character. Uh, but the only way character can be built is, is in the tension of the moment. In other words, the only way you can increase your loyalty is to be loyal when you don't want to be. <laughs> the only way you can uh, in, increase endurance is to keep going when you want to quit. And so I often tell folks beginning like a 12-month recovery program at the Foundry that and I don't tell them this to offend them. I try to help them understand that the program is more than just checking off a bunch of completion boxes. And so I make this statement. It, it kind of shakes some of them and maybe even irritates some. But I, I say this. I say, if you had the character that you needed to finish this program when you started it, you probably wouldn't need the program. Um, it, it, so, again, the content of these classes is important. But the commitment, the consistency, and the character that uh, the Holy Spirit is developing in us um, as we work our way through is also uh, extremely, extremely important. Now, let's, um, let's review one verse, and I'll try to just dig right in tonight where we left off on last class. But let's go once again to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. It's one of my what I call life verses, and obviously I try to live by all the Word of God, but there are certain verses that um, I memorized when I was younger, you know, teenage years or even preteen years that I've tried to uh, live my life by and, and keep in the forefront of my mind, uh, if not on a daily basis, at, at least, um, you know, not let too much time go by without recalling these verses and reminding myself and stirring myself up where these verses are concerned. But I like this one out of the King James Version. Normally I go New King James, but I like this one out of the King James Version. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. There was um, an occasion in Jesus' earth, earthly ministry where he fed a multitude. You, you, don't, don't do it now, obviously, but you can read about this later in John the 6th chapter, where Jesus fed a, a multitude with a little boy's lunch uh, and, of course, they were amazed. Uh, I'm convinced that there were people who ate more food in a single meal that day than they'd, they'd ever eaten in their lives. Um, food was scarce in those days, and uh, Jesus laid out a seafood buffet, and people ate and ate and ate, and then there was lots left over. But the thing about, you know, if you ate lunch today, more than likely you're going to be hungry again before you go to bed tonight. You know, physical food only lasts so long. And so the next morning, the, the, the crowd woke up, they're ready for breakfast, and so they're looking for Jesus. You know, they're, they're wanting him to do, I guess, you know, scrambled eggs and, and, uh, and whatever, you know, uh, feed them breakfast. And, of course, Jesus had already went across the lake. And so they literally rode across. Think of all the calories they expended 
to go see if Jesus could give them some more calories. And he's trying to explain to them that they're laboring for the bread that perishes when they should be putting their effort into the eternal things that he came to do for them. In other words, they were only interested in the physical uh, miracles and the physical food that Jesus could provide for them. They were not really interested in the, in the greater message that, that he came to teach them and to, and, and to uh, impart uh, to them. And so they had the audacity to say, well, look, if you won't do it for us, just teach us how to do it, and then you know, we won't have to bother you anymore. We'll just multiply the food ourselves. And, that, and that's kind of, I think that statement kind of revealed their attitude is that they really didn't want him. They just wanted what he could do for them. And so even better if he could show them how to do it uh, and they could just go on and, and, uh, and not be bothered by him or him bothered by them. And this is what Jesus said. So pay very close attention to this. Jesus said that their work was to believe on him whom God has sent. Their work, their labor. He said, you're laboring for all these things. You're working for all these things that perish. You're laboring for all these things that are temporary when you should be expending effort and, and pouring effort and labor into things that are eternal. He said, your labor should be, your work should be to believe on him whom God has sent. And, of course, we see later where um, we're instructed in the Word of God that, that we should labor in the Word. We should labor in the Word. We, we try so hard to uh, experience results in our lives by doing things our way or, you know, Googling it or, you know, whatever, trying to find the best way that man has uh, to accomplish, uh, you know, some situation in life. And, and yet our efforts and our labor should be in the Word of God. And so as we begin tonight, that, you know, he's talking about studying to show yourself approved unto God. He, he's talking about an expenditure of effort here. He's talking about, you know, something that, uh, that we do and that we invest our time and our energies into. Uh, and, of course, what we know from so many different places in the Scripture is that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God is a rewarder of those who, who diligently go after what He uh, has put in place for us to go after. He says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search those things out. And so we see that, that God has hidden in His Word the wisdom that we need to live our best lives. And He talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says it's, it's not hidden from you, it's hidden for you. There's a difference. If, if I hide a key to my front door somewhere, <coughs> excuse me, in the flower bed, you know, under a rock or a turtle or something like that, you know. Uh, my uncle, he's with Jesus now, but he used to uh, hide uh, some fishing passes so we could, uh, he had a private lake and he had to have a pass to go fish. And uh, me and my brother would go down there and, and he would, it was funny, it's kind of a joke, he would load the pumpkin. He had this ceramic pumpkin out on his patio and he would put the passes in the pumpkin. So, uh, why did he hide them? Well, he, they were hidden for me and my brother, but they were hidden from uh, anyone that he did not want to have access to those passes or to fish on that lake. So in, in, in the same way, God has hidden wisdom for you, not from you. But if we're going to find that wisdom, it's going to require some effort on our part to search it out. So this is what he's telling us here when he says study to show yourself approved. Now we've already mentioned this, let me just remind you, it's not study to be approved. If you've been born again, God's already approved of you. But it's studying and growing and laboring in the Word 
This, this is how the approval that we've already received, the righteousness that we've already become, the freedom that we've already been given, the prosperity that that's, that's belongs to us, the blessing of Abraham that's already upon us, this is how all, all of these things can be revealed, the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. So we've introduced the idea of rightly dividing the Word of God, and we spent uh, all of last class talking about what that means and how to do it effectively. We're going to finish that part. That's the rightly dividing part. And then tonight we're going to get into um, the skillfully applying and hopefully, let me put the title slide up. I don't know if I, if I, I believe I did do that. All right. Um, the skillfully applying. So let's, um, let's do this. And, and I apologize. I've got a little tickle in my throat. So if I cough, I'll try not to blast uh, the microphone here for those that are watching online. But <clears throat> we talked about rightly dividing the Word of God, and we said that um, the revelation of God's nature and character and person, his, Him revealing Himself to mankind is progressive throughout the Scripture. And that just simply means we know more about Him in Isaiah's time, for example, than we knew about Him in, um, in Methuselah's time, or you know, it was early on. And so as the, as the Bible unfolds, we see that God reveals more and more to us about himself. And we said last week one of the key ways that he does that is by he introduces himself uh, using a different name. And each of the names of God are revealing key elements and characteristics about him and about who he is and about what he is like. See, we take for granted in the New Testament church that, that God is Father, Father God. He is our Father. But that understanding and revelation did, did not come uh, until much later in the Scriptures. And, and even when it came, th there were folks who, um, by the way, I, I just, I'm not a fan of this statement, you know, Father God and Mother Nature, okay? No, 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 that's, uh, Mother Nature is something mankind created and invented. God is the God of nature. He created uh, uh, nature, you know. Um, and so this idea, you know, that we're all God's children, and and in a very loosely interpreted sense, that would be true in that God created us all, so He's our Creator Father. Um, but the Bible's very clear that the true children of God, the true offspring of God, are those who have been born of God, uh, born of the Spirit, born from above, born a second time from the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And so when we talk about God being you know, our, um, our Father, we take for granted... I, I, I keep going back to this. We had a situation, uh, it's been many years ago, uh, when my brother was, um, he was singing at a church one time, and, and he said a few times, you know, talking about Father God this and Father God that, and, and there were some people who were very, very offended that he would use uh, that terminology, um, and it's kind of sad to me that they don't realize, you know, what, what all the Bible has to say uh, along those lines. As a matter of fact, I was, I was kind of shocked later when, when it circled back around to me, you know that, you know, they thought he was way out of line for using that terminology. But the Bible says that you can call him Abba, which is a term of endearment very much like um, our English uh, uh, term of endearment for a father, a dad or daddy. Um, so this, this is, you know, what it means for God to be our father. But, but again, because we've heard that and know that and at least are familiar with that, we just think that it's always been understood that way when it, of course, has not been. Now, the last thing I want to just show you about rightly dividing the Word of God is I want you to think of 
the entire Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, like you would think of a court system. And when I say a court system, I mean like a judicial court system. And here in the United States, what, the way our court system works, and I'm sure it's similar to this in many other places around the world, is that we have like a lower court, and then we have uh, ranking courts that go above that. So let's say you're in a lower court, and a lower court uh, issues a verdict or passes judgment in a situation that doesn't seem correct, or, or maybe it needs some clarification, uh, it's confusing. So the recourse is you appeal it to a higher court. You go to an appeals court. And in our country, um, that begins on a local level. Then from there it can go to the county, from the county to the state, from the state to the uh, district, uh, federal court, all the way up if they should choose to take your case, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And that would be the final authority, if you will, as far as our judicial system. So let's go back to it now. When I say think of the Word of God as a court system, let's say you're over in um, Deuteronomy and you read something in there uh, that <clears throat> doesn't seem to line up with what you know and understand about God. Well, remember, in Deuteronomy, um, we didn't know as much about God and His true nature and character uh, like we do today or like, like they just knew maybe three generations later. So anytime you're studying the Scriptures and you find something in the Old Testament that you don't fully understand, or let's go back to the, the legal terminology that needs clarification from a higher court, you, you appeal it to the New Testament. Amen. I, I like to say it this way. You, you have to take your revelation of God, your understanding of God from the Old Testament and drag it through the blood of Jesus into the New Testament. Uh, so that we can really understand Him and understand who He is and, and ultimately understand the word that He has spoken to us. Now, with all that said, you, you appeal to a higher court for clarification, but I believe that there is a supreme court, so to speak, in the Word of God. And that supreme court would be everything written in red. Now, if you understand what written in red means, that's everything that came out of the mouth of Jesus. Everything that came directly from God. So you've got Jesus on the earth speaking, the Son of God in human form on the earth speaking directly to us. Okay, um, Remember what we said last week when it was Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And Peter said, let's build a, a, a tabernacle, let's build a, a booth, let's, let's build a... Um, you know, uh, a tourist attraction, <laughs> whatever, for, for each of them, um, Father God uh, spoke and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And that doesn't mean that there's not tremendous value in what God said to us through Moses or what God said to us through the prophets. But remember, Jesus came to fulfill all of that and bring to us a new day. So also remember that it was Jesus who said, you have heard it said, um, that you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, he's quoting from the Old Testament. So notice now, he's, what is he doing? It's, he's bringing clarification. <coughs> Excuse me. He's bringing a greater understanding for us so that we can ultimately 
uh, apply these things to our lives. Now, if the Chief Justice, I'm sorry, if the Supreme Court in the Word of God is everything written in red, I also believe that there is a Chief Justice. What does that mean? Well, I believe that there is one verse that we need to memorize and refer to in uh, any type of confusing situation that you may find in the Scriptures. And I call John chapter 10, verse 10, the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the Word of God. And here's what that verse says, John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus speaking, so it's written in red, he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And if you'll notice, there's a period there. End of sentence, new sentence, same verse. Jesus speaking, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So notice what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. Jesus is giving us an absolute statement that we can use to understand what is coming from God and what God's desires and plans and will for our lives are and what's coming from the devil and what God's desires and plans, uh, what the devil's desires and plans and will for our lives may be. So what, what, how do we simplify this? If it's stealing from you, if it's diminishing you, if it's taking away from you, if it's, if it's bringing death to you, if it's bringing destruction to you, that is, not coming, that is not coming from God. The thief only comes. That's what the thief does. The thief steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. You see, this is one of the areas in, 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 in modern-day church where the devil has done a number on so many of God's people because he, he, he attacks and does things and affects things in our life and then tries to tell us that it was God, that God did this. Remember, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy uh, the, the, the works of the destroyer. Okay? So you've got the Word of God as a court system. If there's something that... Remember the quote from uh, Bill Johnson, Jesus is perfect theology. So if you can't find it in the life of Jesus, it's not God. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you this. It's, I know that's... that's a, let me tell you what that is. That's rightly dividing the Word of God, see? Uh, you say, well, no, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, what about this? And what, and what about these things? Well, um, amen. As we work our way through, we're, we're, more and more is being revealed, which means th those who wrote about God are writing from a platform of greater revelation. Remember, it was God who withheld. Uh, he didn't just reveal everything to us at once. As a matter of fact, we looked at verses last week to where Jesus is sharing things with us that he said. These things have been kept hidden um, from the beginning of time. They've never been uttered. They've never been revealed. They've never been spoken for mankind to hear and to know and to understand. So aren't you thankful for the day that we live in? Aren't you thankful that we're not, as, as the Apostle Paul said, groping around in the dark trying to find God, but that He's come to us and He's found us and that He has shined the light of His eternal glory and gospel into our hearts and, and has given to us of His Spirit who's now leading and guiding us into all truth, enabling us to rightly divide the Word of God. You, you a double mind, I could go on and on here, I know I need to shift to the next point, but remember what we see in James, that when we are double-minded, 
that we become unstable in all of our ways. So double-mindedness in one area creates instability in multiple areas. And this is where the devil makes his living in, in confusing us and trying to plant seeds of doubt and, 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 and wrong thinking in our hearts and minds. He loves to try to attack us and then convince us that God did it. He loves to try to put faults in our minds and, and tell us that they're the truth when, when they're actually the seed of His um, lies. Now, how, how, how do we uh, grow in this area? Well, that's what He's saying. You've got to study to show yourself approved unto God. Certainly coming to classes like this, and, but I, I've already had feedback from far too many of you for far too many years to know that I am technically not teaching these classes right now. I'm, I'm not your teacher. The Holy Spirit is using me, but it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that's teaching you. And, and think for those of you who have attended you know, at least one or more of these classes, that as you're sitting there listening to, to the things that I'm saying, the Holy Spirit is in turn saying things to you. He's connecting things. And, and um, as Sister Cherie, you know, she, she was talking about the handwriting of the ordinances, one of the first classes that, that she um, attended. I, I didn't say anything about that uh, out of my mouth, but the Holy Spirit said it to her uh, as something that He said through me triggered that in her, and it connected a dot, and it, 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 it refreshed and reminded her of, of, of these things. And so ultimately the Holy Spirit is our teacher, but it's, it's, it's very difficult for Him to teach us if we won't put our nose in the book. It's very difficult for Him to teach us if we refuse to, to, to give Him and his, his Word place in our, in our lives. And so the, the, more that we, the more time we spend in classes like this, in studying and meditating the Word of God, the more opportunity uh, the Holy Spirit has to reveal the truth and the answers to us um, that that we uh, so important and that, and that we need. Amen. All right, so let's go back then. <clears throat> We're talking about two uh, important avenues, and we said the first one is that we must learn to rightly divide the Word of God, and that's what we've talked about for about the last class and a half maybe. Rightly divide the Word of God. And then number two, which by the way is dependent upon number one, is that we must then skillfully apply the Word of God. So you, you can't begin to apply it to your life unless you first know how to um, divide it. You've got to rightly divide it um, in order to skillfully apply it. Now, <clears throat> this is also important because you know, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of folks who have been in church for a long time, and they have a lot of knowledge, uh, a lot of Bible knowledge, but that knowledge has made little to no difference in their life reality uh, because they've never taken what they're learning and put forth the effort to apply it to their lives. So take any subject, um, like, okay, tithing would be an example. The Bible has a lot to say about tithing. I, I know that there's, it's become popular in, in these later days, you know, where people say that's, a, that's an Old Testament thing. Well, Jesus said you should tithe. Hebrews is the New Testament. Um, the New Testament says here men receive tithes. It doesn't say they received tithes. It says here they receive. I could just go on. I'm not, I'm not here to teach all that. I'm just saying, okay. Um, but 
the reality is this. You could memorize everything the Bible has to say about tithing. You, you could put together a, a seminar on tithing. You could write a book about tithing and sell it. Um, but you will never know tithing until you tithe, until you actually do it, until you actually put it into practice. That's, the, that's what we mean by the... Um, we've been in a, in a study on Sunday mornings here at Heritage, learning to trust God. And the only way you'll ever learn to trust God is, is by trusting Him. And, and it seems like you know, a lot of folks are trying to learn to trust God without ever any, putting any skin in the game, without ever really stepping out and, uh, and committing uh, themselves to His works and His ways. Uh, but anyway, I'm not <laughs> here to, to, to go down that road. But, but in the course of that study, we've talked about how so much of what people in the church today know about God, it, it, it's only theory to them. They, they know it theoretically, um, but not uh, empirically, or we could say experientially. Remember our definition for discipleship, to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. So we're not just, you know, coming to a classroom to, uh, uh, you know, become something that we're not. Okay, we're, we're here to study, to show ourselves approved. We're here to, to hear and receive the things that we need to then go forth and step out and commit ourselves to and do. And so the difference then, as I like to say, is in the doing. So the skillful application of the word. Um, let's, let's go back to, we looked at these verses a couple of weeks ago um, when we first introduced this, uh, this thought. But let's go back now to Hebrews uh, chapter 5 and uh, verses 12 through 14. Praise God. Hebrews 5, uh, 12 through 14. Praise God. Um, <clears throat> it's, it says this. Um, let me get these verses up on the screen here. Praise God. Amen. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Wow. So think about what he's saying here. He's, he's talking about people who've been born again and have been in the church for a long enough period of time that they should be teaching and leading others, but despite their tenure, despite their exposure, despite having heard, uh, perhaps for years now, um, teaching from the Bible, they're still in need of someone to go back and teach them the basics, the first principles of the oracles of God, as he refers to them here in verse number 12. And he says, because of this, that they've come to need milk and not solid food. So the Bible refers to some of the basics that we would learn, the sincere milk of the word. Um, and obviously, you know, you know, as someone who's newly born again, just beginning, or maybe you've been born again for a long time, but, but have never really been serious about discipleship or studying the, the scriptures. Well then, you know, certainly in that case, milk is called for. But as we grow and develop, we have to progress from milk into the solid food or the meat, okay? So he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk. So he's given us uh, characteristics here, but in addition to the characteristics, 
he's also giving us an explanation of why this is the case. And Lord, why is it that somebody's been in the church for a bunch of years and have heard the Word of God for years, but they still don't, they still don't know it, they still don't have it, they still uh, need somebody to teach them again when they should be teaching other people? He says it's, it's because they still need milk and they still need milk because they're unskilled in the Word of Righteousness. They're unskilled in the Word of Righteousness. Notice he does not say they're unknowledgeable. He didn't say they didn't know it. He said they had no skill to go with the knowledge. And so because of this, they're still as spiritual babies when by now they should have become at least you know, more mature, if not spiritual adults. He goes on to say solid food belongs to those who are of full age. And, um, and the word that you often find in the scriptures for this, this concept of maturity or full age is the word perfection. And perfection doesn't mean in the King James Bible what it means to us in our common uh, day language. We think perfection means without error. Perfection here means that which has come full circle. That would just come full circle. So the implications here of something coming full circle is the end game or the end product, the end result of discipleship, which some say, whatever God does in you, He wants to do through you. you know, so when He, when he uh, saved you, He then wanted you to become instrumental in bringing salvation, the message of salvation to another person. Same with discipleship, same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, same with healing, same with deliverance, same with all of these things. You know, um, there's a sister in the room, and I, I'm not trying to single you folks out, but there's a sister in the room who went through a very difficult and painful process uh, in, in her life, but God brought her through that process, and she came out the other side of it, gloriously delivered, life transformed for eternity, family transformed for eternity, and guess what she's doing now? She's gone right back into the fray as a leader, in, in those same classes, and those same experiences, to take other women by the hand and walk them through that experience. So that's what we mean, becoming a full age. Um, it, it, it's the, the perfection, the, the Greek word is teleos, and it means that it, it's, it's come full circle. So solid food belongs to those who are a full age, who, are, who have reached this place of maturity, that have come full circle. And notice that is those who by reason of use those who by reason of use. There's a statement, and I really like it, in, um, <coughs> excuse me, in 12-step uh, in recovery, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. They say you can only keep what you give away, right? And, and so it's the same concept. When the, when the Lord brings you to a place of deliverance and freedom from addiction or alcoholism or whatever the case may be, um, if, if you want to not just maintain that position but continue to grow and, as I like to say, become a threat um, to addiction, uh, you've, you've then got to uh, turn that outward to uh, helping and ministering to and working together with other people. So notice the reason of use. That's such a key phrase in this passage. Um, skilled uh, and reason of use. Think about all the things that you have gotten really good at now that when you first started um, maybe seemed impossible uh, for you or at least very difficult for you but you overcame the learning curve, and now by practice, we could say it that way, by practice, by reason of use, by actually getting in the fray, rolling up your sleeves and doing it, um, you have learned and grown and developed and matured. Um, notice now even where he says, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This is, um, 
I don't know how to write words to use this. I don't, I don't want to use the wrong words here. But we're, we're talking about a very high level of spiritual maturity when your physical senses have become so developed that, that even in your flesh you're able to discern um, these things. The flesh is the part of us that is our biggest threat. It's the part that's the easiest to deceive by the devil. And, and, and so he's talking about now you know, what's inside a person that has so overtaken their lives that, that even their senses um, have been exercised to discern uh, and, and, and know good and evil. And of course, ultimately, the, the concept of use here is doing the good and avoiding um, the wrong or the evil. Okay, now, <clears throat> um, let me put a couple more verses on the screen. Uh, James uh, 1 and 22 he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's James 1.22. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. So obviously he's telling us here, in the, and we could have looked at a whole bunch of verses in, in this general area of the, of the Bible, in the book of James, that, that talk about um, you know, faith without corresponding action, faith without work. She's talking about what you believe, but not ever adding any effort or, or doing, if you will, to that um, is, is dormant. Faith without works is dormant. Faith without works is dead. And here he says that we've got to be doers of the word as opposed to hearers only. Clearly, that's what he's talking about in Hebrews 5. These are people who heard the word, but they never did the word, and it kept them in a perpetual state of immaturity. Um, you know, I am, <clears throat> how do I say this? I'm passionate about this. I, 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 have, um, I have experienced so much of the goodness of God in my life and in my family. Um, and, you know, the heart of a shepherd, the, the heart of, of someone that's called to serve God's people, is I'm not satisfied just having this for myself. Um, I, I want other people to enjoy and experience the peace and the prosperity and, and, and the soundness and the salvation and the deliverance and the freedom um, that the Word of God and, and, the, and the blessing of God has produced in my own life. And so this is why um, we had Pastor Appreciation Day uh, this past Sunday at Heritage and, and there were a lot of people who said a lot of kind things uh, and, and I appreciate that. It's wildly, wildly encouraging. Um, but the, the two things that I guess stood out to me the most was uh, some of the things that my own family said ab about me. And not because my family, what they say is more important than what other people say, you know, just on the surface, but you know, the fact that the people that know me best, I guess, you know, that are around me the most, and especially away from the church and the pulpit. Um, but perhaps even equal to that, was the number of people who commented on um, my efforts to make the Word of God simple enough and put it on a low enough shelf so that anybody who wants to grab hold of it and take off running with it can do it, right? See, the Bible says it this way in the Old Testament that my assignment is to read the verse and make the sense, right? So, in other words, so that people can say, okay, this is not just some concept, this is not just some philosophical point of view, but that this is actually the practical wisdom of God that originated in His heart and has now been delivered to us 
um, by the Holy Spirit uh, to be able to read the verses from the Bible and put it in a way that people, you know, wh what's the right word, um, relevant for our day in, in a, in a um, you know, culture changes so much. I'm not, the Word of God's timeless. Don't misunderstand me. Timeless answers. Ancient book, timeless answers. But for people to be able to relate to it on a, on a personal level to the point that they can apply it to their lives. That is, that is I guess, the one major passion of, of my life in ministry is to take the Word of God, the timeless answers that we find in the Word of God, and present them to people in a way, not just so that they'll know about it. That's, that's, I'm, I'm not interested in only de developing knowledge in you, um, but so that the Word of God will become wisdom to you. Remember, wisdom is applied knowledge. It's the ability to take something that you know and use it to produce a result. That's wisdom. And God is a God of results. He, he, um, I know this may sound as a shock to somebody, but if you, if, if you read the parables uh, that Jesus taught us about these things, is that Father is not pleased when we're not producing results. He is not pleased when we're uh, you know, just taking our gifts and our time, talent, and treasures and burying them somewhere uh, because we're too intimidated to step out and do what God has called us to do. So he says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And then he includes that final phrase, deceiving yourselves. So what is he saying? He's saying that if you hear the word but never apply it in your life, never actually do what you're hearing, that what you're, what you're actually participating in is self-deception. Now, there may be deeper understanding and, and explanations of this, but, but I, I believe clearly, um, you know, the reason it's self-deceiving is that there's life in the Word of God. There's, remember, His words are spirit and they're life. And man, you know, Peter said it in, in John the 6th chapter. that One translation says, Jesus, when you speak, something comes alive on the inside of me. And so when you're in the, the presence of God and you're, and you're, and you're in, a, in a place where the Holy Spirit is, is anointing uh, the Word of God that's being spoken, it, it has tre tremendous impact on, on your life. And, and, and you, you leave the, the service feeling better. Amen. I, that's always been one of my desires as well. You know, I, uh, I went to enough church services over the years in different places where I, I left there feeling worse than I did when I went in. You know what I'm saying? It was not encouraging. It was, it was a bit discouraging. Amen. Um, and it, I'm a gospel preacher. That means good news. I got nothing but good news for you. Uh, and so, you know, you, you want to encourage people. You want to build people up. You want to give them the Word of God in, in, in a way that, that encourages them and produces hope and faith by hearing and confidence and all these things, right? Um, so where the self-deception comes in, though, is you can drag into a worship service um, you know, phone in, you know, a, a little bit of worship, you know, just kind of clapping and, and muttering the words. And, but you know, as the Holy Spirit starts moving, now you hear the Word of God and, and you leave out of that service feeling better about yourself, feeling better about your situation, having more light about what you need to do than you had before you got there. And, and, and it, it'll give you this, this false impression, you know, that everything's okay now. Um, but the difference is in the doing. And so if you never take what you hear and do something with it, it'll make you feel better about your situation on the short end, but if nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. In other words, where the real change happens is when we begin to do what the Word of God says for us to do. <coughs> Excuse me, please. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 7.
Praise God. Matthew chapter 7. Now, some of you um, may be uh, well past some of these things in your, in your walk and your uh, maturity level in the things of God. And I understand that, but when um, a few months uh, from now, when uh, the Atlanta Braves report uh, to winter camp to get ready for uh, spring baseball, uh, the first thing that they will do uh, will be the first thing they did when they played Dixie Youth Baseball as kids. Um, they will go back to the fundamentals. Um, they, they will uh, uh, go back to the, the very basics uh, because that, that provides the, the foundation, uh, if you will. And so, again, <clears throat> I'm well aware that you know, someone that's committed themselves to a class of this uh, length and duration and intensity uh, is, is, is hopefully well beyond the uh, hearing only and never doing. But these are things that I think we need to be uh, reminded of, but also I think just to understand in a deeper way the importance of um, when we minister to other people that we're not just wanting to you know, impress them with what we know and, and give them good advice or, or answers without placing the emphasis on the doing. All right. So Matthew, um, the seventh uh, chapter. Praise God. <coughs> Again, excuse me for the cough. I hope that's not blasting you guys too bad on the podcast or the live stream. All right. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says this Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus speaking, by the way, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and uh, the floods came. Let me put that other verse up there right quick. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was its fall. Okay, so that's Matthew chapter 7. We see that there's uh, another variation of this parable, which basically says the same thing. Um, in that instance, Jesus included, uh, or it was included that Jesus said, um, the man who built his house on the rock first dug deep, right? So if you, if you go build a house, you don't just go out there and and, uh, and, and move the trees and grass out of the way and start building a house. You've got to get through the topsoil down to something that will support that house. And a lot of times, you know, that effort in digging deep involves all the things that we've tried to build our, our lives on previously. We've got to get that stuff out of the way, right? And get down to something that, that is solid and that will support the kind of life that God created and intended for us to live. But in this very simple parable, and, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but in case you haven't noticed, Jesus is talking about two people who experienced um, an identical situation. So, you know, like in, in clinical research and, and, and trials and, 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 and all this other stuff, you know, you've got the control groups, you've got, you know, the, this and that, you, you know, and because, again, you're trying to get some accurate information. So I'm not trying to way overcomplicate this. Uh, ultimately, 
uh, in the end, you know, we may experience similar things. No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But no two stories are identically exactly the same. But again, this is a parable. It's comparable. And we see something very clearly here that Jesus is trying to emphasize. And that is two men who both built houses, who both experienced the same uh, identical rain descending, flood coming, wind blowing, beating on the house. Uh, one man's house fell, one man's house stood the test of time. One man's life collapsed, one man's life continued to, uh, to stand and to thrive and to prosper. And, and so in this parable, because there's so many similarities, it's, it's, it's a, in other words, it's, what's the right word I'm trying to use here? It's a, it's a tool that Jesus is using to emphasize, um, because the, the, the primary difference is not that one man's house stood and one man's house fell. We tend to focus on that. But what Jesus is truly emphasizing here is why did one man's house stand and why did one man's house fall? And notice both of these men heard these sayings of mine. Notice Jesus speaking here. So both men, both individuals heard what Jesus said. But one man did what he heard, the other man only heard and did nothing. Are you seeing this? How Jesus is emphasizing this. And so obviously it was, the man, it, was not, it was not just hearing, but it was the hearing combined with the doing that enabled this man to stand the test of time compared to the man who also heard but did not do, and therefore when the pressure came, his house collapsed. Now, I want to try to get down to some specifics in some particulars, when we talk about becoming skillful with the Word of God, becoming skillful with the Word of God, in, in the days ahead, we will look at um, some verses in Galatians. Uh, I don't have the slides in front of me right now, but in Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a slave. The heir, and he's talking about someone who's the heir of an, of an estate, the, you know, the heir of the, uh, you know, is, I always picture this like as a, as a man who has a, you know, a huge family business and he's going to leave that business to his son. Uh, and the Bible says that you know, he's the, he is the legal rightful heir, but as long as he's a child, he's not going to live like the king or prince that he really is. He's, his life reality is going to look more like that of a slave than that of the ruler and the, and the heir that he truly and genuinely is. And, of course, this is a, a real issue in the body of Christ because we see that we're heirs of God, um, but so many of God's people are not living like heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. They're still living like slaves, and that's because they're still as children, as long as he's a child, as long as he's a child, as long as he's a child. Now, a child, by definition, in this particular passage, is one who's ignorant, immature, okay, talk a lot about that, and obviously we're covering that without necessarily uh, using the words, but ignorant, immature. But the third part of the definition, biblical definition, uh, Greek definition uh, of what it means to be a child is an inability to speak on one's own behalf, in a, unable to speak on one's own behalf, ignorant, immature, unable to speak on one's own behalf. So when, when we're talking about the Word of God and skillfully applying the Word of God, we're talking about an, an, an ability to uh, take the Word of God and, and use it and apply it skillfully, okay? And so I want to, <clears throat> famous last words, I don't want to spend too much time here, but 
we're going to spend as much time as we need. The Holy Spirit will help us. Um, we see that the Word of God identifies itself as being certain things that we can understand from nature. And because we can understand from nature how to use those things, then we can understand how to practically use the Word of God in that same way. So let me, uh, let me work, work through a few of these, okay? Um, first of all, we see in the Scriptures that the Word of God... So we're talking about rightly dividing the Word of God and then being able to skillfully apply it. Rightly divide the Word of God and then skillfully apply it. Okay? Now, <coughs> excuse me. Let me put these up here. I've got a couple of verses. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. It says this, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then in Mark chapter 4, verse 14, Matthew chapter 13, um, Luke, I forget the exact Luke uh, chapter in Luke, but we see the parable of the sower. And that's not needle pulling thread, that's a farmer sowing, or we would maybe say planting seed. All right? And we see that the sower sows the word. So what, what, are, we, what are we seeing here? We're, we're seeing, now this, I'm asking you to stay with me for a minute because this, this I think is going to help you gain some traction on developing skill and what it means to develop skill and becoming skillful where the word of God is concerned. So the word of God then is seed. <clears throat> when I first began to teach this many, many years ago, um, the Holy Spirit had to correct me <clears throat> because I put in, in my notes not that the Word of God is seed, but that the Word of God is like seed. And I know that may be a, a minor point, um, but the Holy Spirit corrected me. He said, no, it's not like seed, it is seed. There's a difference between something being like a seed and it actually being a seed. Amen? So the Word of God is seed. Come on now. The Word of God is seed. Now, when we talk about farming and planting seed and taking seed, you know, it, it, we're talking about skill here for a man or a woman to take a little brown bag of seed um, and you know, draw from those seed all the potential that's within them, all the fruit that's, that's in them. One kernel of corn producing a stalk with multiple ears of corn on it, all right? But if we're going to go from seed to harvest, <coughs> we're ultimately talking about some skill that's, that's, that's needed to take the potential that's in the seed and realize that potential in a meaningful, fruitful way in our lives. Am I losing you? Are you still with me? Okay, so when we're talking about then developing skill with the Word of God is concerned, we're talking about how to take that, that word, which is seed, which has within it the power to produce a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest in your life, right? Well, so if the Word of God is seed, and it is, then how do we plant it? How, how do we uh, get it um, from seed form to harvest form in our lives? Okay? 
Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that question probably more than once. Um, it's perhaps, and maybe I need to reorder these things uh, so it, it'll be more clear, um, but the answer is, if the Word of God is a seed, then planting a word seed is going to involve speaking that seed in some way. Okay, In other words, we have to speak the Word if we're going to plant the Word. We have to speak the Word if we're going to plant the Word. Now, certainly, certainly that means speaking the Word of God into the heavens. We'll talk about that. If not tonight, we'll get hopefully there uh, next, next week. Um, the Bible talks about God putting His Word in your mouth. I'll show you this in Isaiah 51. He talks about covering you with the shadow of His hand and putting His words in your mouth so that He can use words, His words coming out of your mouth to plant the heavens. All right? So we know the Word of God is spirit and life. It's, it's, it's more than just you know, ink on a page. It's, it's living. It's eternal. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the Word of God. It's the, it's the divine intelligence of God. And so now we take His living and powerful Word and we speak it out of our mouths. And, and so this is one of the key ways that the potential that's in the Word of God, because the Word of God is seed, and every seed has potential within it to reproduce after its own kind. So we see then that if we're going to plant the Word of God as seed, we're going to have to speak that Word. Now, let's not limit ourselves, though, to speaking the Word of God um, outwardly. Remember, the Bible says this, He sent His Word and healed them. There's healing power in the Word of God. So, in the same way you can take a, 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 a seed, a squash, or corn, or pick your vegetable, right? And you, and you plant that seed, and from the seed comes the harvest, comes the produce, what's produced from that seed. We see that God's Word will produce healing in your life, in your body. It's, it's a phenomenal thing, okay? Um, and so, notice now, we're talking about skill now. We're, we're talking about the ability to speak the, the Word of God. But here is the one that we cannot um, overlook. And that is what, what the Bible calls meditation. Talk about meditating on the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God <clears throat> does not mean just thinking about it. I have no problem with you thinking about the Word of God. Set your mind on the Word of God and think about the Word of God. But to meditate, um, biblically speaking, to meditate the Word of God means to mutter it to oneself. To mutter to oneself. So this would be like under your breath, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power. Love and sound mind, greater seeds in me than he was in the world. In other words, where you just, you know, driving down the road, muttering word to yourself. I love to do this at night, real, real quiet like, so as not to keep Pam Pam, my wife, awake, you know. Um, I call her Pam Pam, that's what the grandkids call her, amen. Uh, Sister Pamela, amen. Uh, you know, but I, I love to do that mutter the word of God uh, to myself because what am I doing? I'm planting it. Where am I planting it? Am I planting it in my pillow? No, I'm planting it in my heart. Because Jesus said that the Word of God is seed and it needs to be, one of the places and very important for it to be planted is in the fertile soil of my heart. 
And we, and we see from the parables that Jesus taught on this that the enemy is constantly trying to separate the Word of God from the soil in your heart because that's the only way he can prevent the Word of God from producing, produce, producing what God sent it forth to produce in your life. Uh, a really, really classic example of this is the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her name. I look forward to meeting her one day in heaven. Um, but we just simply know that she had been sick for a long time. Um, she was hemorrhaging. She was bleeding. Um, this was before blood transfusions and all, all those things, right? So she was weak and emaciated at the point of death. You spent all of her money trying to get help. and No doctor. She suffered many things at the hands of the physicians. In other words, they, they all kinds of experimental, you know, they were practicing. 